Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, July 25th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, and we're going to begin today on the first full paragraph on page 51 in that chapter, beginning with This World of Ours. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, July 24th, is 4838. That's 4838. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Naomi to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, my vision family. I am Naomi, a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to turn to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and become willing to make amends to all of them. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry it out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. And Leah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your kindness. Thank you, Naomi. I'd now like to ask Meg to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you. Hello, my name is Meg, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, 
finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. And today we are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are on page 51, and we're going to begin today with the first full paragraph on that page that begins this world of ours. And this morning I would like to ask Penny C. to please get us started. Thank you, Janice. This is Penny C., recovered compulsive overreader from Massachusetts, and always happy to be here This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than in all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet, in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. I I read this um, earlier and and kept looking at this, this sentence by sentence, and kept thinking that this was written in 1939, this this page. And um, I guess I kind of chuckled when I thought about how preposterous it was to think about men going to the moon in those days and how, you know, um, a program on TV, Jackie Gleason, to be exact, would say, I'm going to send you to the moon. That was thought to be the most absurd thing you could think of. And songs are even written about being, you know, fly me to the moon, and, and it, it was it was analogous to to hanging from a star. And yet today we take it well. Pe- 
people are people are signing up um, for I understand pretty soon a commercial shuttle to the moon, and and this is not in that many years, not that many years ago. So it goes on to tell us that material progress was painfully slow, and it was because of the closed-mindedness, you know, the tradition and the fixed ideas. People were not open, most people in those days, to any new ideas. It wasn't because they didn't have the intellect that people have today. They were just stymied by that 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 stubbornness, if you will, that that lack of of being open to new ideas. And so today, we wonder why. Why is that? And and we look at Columbus as they're talking about Columbus and Galileo. And, you know, it was because why did those men go forward with their ideas despite the superstitions, traditions of the time? It's because they, as we're going to go on and read, you know, it must be because they had a belief in something outside themselves. They they were not closed mind about the great possibilities that exist in the realm of the spirit. And they weren't just stymied or fettered by the realm of just what they could see. And so I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of this the this um chapter that's going to tell us more and more about this and and it's it's going to just show me it has shown me that how I need I need to be open to God and to God's grace and God's guidance and not be closed-minded and think all I can believe is in what I can see. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Margaret. Leah. I I heard Kim, Margaret. And Leah, is that right? Sounds good. All right, we'll start with Kim then. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. And I love that word fettered. Um, and I looked that up. Fettered means a chain or a manacle used to restrain a prisoner, typically placed around his ankles. The other definition, a restraint or check on someone's freedom to do something, typically one considered unfair and overly restrictive. So they're asking us, once again, this whole chapter of Ignatius is asking us to open our mind. So they're saying here that what, what are we fettered by? We're fettered by these superstitions, these traditions, all sorts of fixed ideas. So we're, we want to question those things. What are those traditions? I mean, some of the traditions just might be what our childhood idea of God is, what that formal idea of God is. Why can't it be different? Why can't we choose a God of our own understanding? You know, what are some of those fixed ideas? You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, well, I'm big-boned. I'm just big bone. That's why I'm a big girl. You know, I often hear people say, well, I'm Italian. I have to eat this kind of food. I'm Irish. I have to eat this kind of food. I'm Mexican. I have to eat these kind of food. That's my fixed idea. That's what my family does. My family shows love through food. You know, thinking that I am different, that fixed idea that it might work for you, but it's not going to work for me. And one of the most dangerous fixed ideas I think we have is Overeaters Anonymous, we cannot recover. We cannot recover. The the food is different than the drugs. The food is different than the alcohol. The food is different than the gambling. I have to eat. I cannot recover as a compulsive overeater. The most I can hope for is temporary respite of not overeating. So we have to question, what are we fettered by? What is restricting our movement, our ability to function? And one of the greatest gifts that, what, that we agnostics can give us and that this step two can give us is simply to get to the point where we say, I don't know. Because what we know, we are going to be blinded to anything outside of that. When we say, I don't know, we're open to new ideas. So let me read that one more time. 
In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of of fixed ideas. So I encourage you to question what those are. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, Margaret. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Recovery in South Jersey. Um, A very favorite sentence of mine also, and Kim has uh, said many good things about it. Men's minds were fettered. You know, my mind was fettered by fixed ideas, all sorts of fixed ideas. And so many of my fixed ideas were prejudices and stubbornness. I heard that word just now, stubbornness. And, um, you know, to begin to question my ideas, you know, just to begin to be able to question my ideas. Because as we know here, what my ideas were not working. My ideas were not working. If they were working, I would just be good to go and keep going. So thank God today we are, um, at least we realize that our thinking is fettered and that we must have new ideas. And that's what happened to Bill. I mean, you know, in Bill's story, his whole story is about his willingness to have new ideas just over and over again, his willingness, even if it was a little tiny, tiny light, the light came in and he was willing to have a new idea and he kept going. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, a couple pages back, you know, they started talking that, you know, theory should be embraced if facts prove that it's worth looking at, like the theory of electricity, right? We all depend on it. Uh, um, We may not be able to explain it, but uh, it works. You know, it works and we rely on it. We have trust, reliance, and dependency on electricity and all the gadgetry, even though we might not be able to understand um, you know, and define it exactly. So here they're they're giving another argument, and this argument is about let's say creativity and inventions. Again, this this statement in the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Again, what does fettered mean? Means tied up, restrained, controlled, and limited. That the men of The past uh, history, you know, were fettered. They were limited by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. What the big book is going to try to do now is is try to say, you know what, all the creativity and inventions, and they're going to give us some specific examples, um, come from a willingness to try something different and to see if it works. (laughs) And to see if it works. And willingness to change one's belief leads to being able to do things that we once thought were impossible. that's, That's the argument here. If you're willing to try something different, maybe it will work. And it gives this example. It says, some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought around Earth preposterous. Well, Columbus is one of those great examples of what you can do and what you can change provided you're willing to think out of the box, provided you're willing to set aside, like it says here, set aside your superstitions, set aside your preconceived judgments, your traditions, your prejudice perhaps, your fixed ideas, and be willing to change some things. Be willing. That's all it's saying is being willing. Columbus was willing. He was willing to think out of the box, but the first thing he had to do to change anything is to be willing to do so. What was Columbus willing to change? Well, it was very, very difficult and time-consuming to uh, travel east. It took years to get there and get back. Years and years and years and years. Well, Columbus was willing to state that he wanted to change that. He wanted to change that, and he was willing to, to, uh, to look into something different. He believed. He believed that perhaps there was a better way. Just like you and I come here uh, beaten by this disease, humbled uh, by, by this addiction, you know, are, are we willing Willing, perhaps, you know, once admitting that we're powerless, willing to say, you know what, maybe, there, maybe there's something out there uh, that, that can help me. 
maybe there's something out there that can help me because certainly my, my own will hasn't helped me. My own intellect hasn't helped me. My own self-knowledge hasn't helped me. My own drive and motivations haven't helped me. My determination hasn't helped me. Even humans haven't been able to help me. Could there be, am I willing to be, believe that there might be something out there that could help me? And furthermore, there are people who, who say they've been helped by a power greater than themselves. So could I also be willing to believe? It all starts with a willingness to try something different. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, I love, I love reading this particular paragraph because these first 100 alcoholics who penned this volume are are teaching us from their own experience, laying it out from their own experience. And what what has this chapter been doing? Well, you know, I love it. It's a setup. It's a setup. They keep introducing us to these ideas, introducing us to this possible way out, and then knocking down all the obstacles we might have in the way. You know, I don't know if you're anything like me, but these first 100 alcoholics knew about self-sufficiency. They knew about that idea that we had as compulsive overeaters, as alcoholics, that we could figure it out ourselves, that we could do it ourselves. So this whole chapter talks about the realm of the spirit, the realm of the spirit. And am I going to be able to entertain that idea? Am I going to be able to see that it's worked for many other people and it might work for me? So they lay it all out here and they talk about the world as we know it. You know, the world as we know it. Well, weren't there people that were held prisoner by their own ideas? By their own ideas. There were people in the material world. In the material world, they looked around them and said, that's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible, they said. But there were those who said, mm, I beg to differ. Some things are possible that we cannot explain. And, and so not being held prisoner by those fixed ideas, not being held prisoner by the superstition of the day, by the traditions of the day, there were those who had open enough minds to consider something more than just the material world. So they set us up here by talking about all these people who flatly have already flatly declared that they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves. People who, who when that change came over them because they believed in a power greater than themselves, they were examples to us. So they're saying, well, yes, you may be one of those people that... that can see by history that there were all kinds of people who were held prisoner by their own ideas, their own old concepts. And are we going to be willing to open our minds to something new and different? And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? This is Sally in South Jersey. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you, Janice. This is Sally in South Jersey. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I'd like to also jump in here. I have found that this um, this fabulous book is just sprinkled with so many wonderful examples to just to, to impress our minds with the important things that are, they're trying to impress us with. And here, this paragraph is, of course, all about the prejudice of our thinking, the biases, the traditions, and even the irrational thinking of some of our thinking. And I love that word too, fettered. Reminds me of the word shackled by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. But I want to come down to this last line. Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. Galileo actually died under house arrest in 1642 for believing that the earth rotated around the sun which, of course, we all know is true now. He believed that the sun was the center of our solar system, which we all, of course, know now is true. But at that time, they believed him such a, such his, his, his teaching was such heresy that they put the man under house arrest 
until the day he died. And so this makes me really think about my own prejudices, my own false thinking. I was so sure for so many years, for 30 years, as I, as I came in and out, mostly in, of the rooms of OA, that it was all about getting that abstinence, getting that coin, standing up at the front of the room or in the back of the room and being able to announce my abstinence. That was, to me, the pride of my life in terms of OA, that I could say I had a certain amount of years of abstinence, which there were many who had many more years than I ever ever had in, uh, in OA. But to me, that was the end all, abstinence. But what did I find out after 30 years of being in this program and thinking that keep coming back was the whole key, was just my coming back to three meetings a week and my doing certain things like they were some kind of oracles that I had to perform. Little did I know, and only found out a year ago at the age of 52, that the bottom line was in this book, that the solution was here in this book what a surprise, what a shock for me to find out that the reason some meetings were more effective than others were because some meetings talked about the big book and others didn't. And that to me is the scales falling from my eyes, my own personal lack of knowledge, my own personal prejudice about what this is all about. And finding out that it wasn't just about my body and this allergy to sugar but, or flour or all the other trigger foods, but it was a lot to do with my mind and the mental twists. It's just been incredibly eye-opening. And I'm so grateful for Bill in the way he has brought to us simple scientific backgrounds, the idea that science now rules the day and now science is the insane to believe in and God is out apparently. Back then, God was in, science was out. It's just such an amazing thing how the world has just done many twists in its thinking, but most importantly, that we can learn about the mental twist of our disease. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Katie, would you read that for us, please? Yes, this is Katie. Um, Let me get back to my book here. Okay, we asked ourselves this. Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air has almost, was almost an old story, and airplane travel was in full swing. Well, you know, the thing that comes out to me when I read this is, you know, man still doesn't fly. Birds fly. We get into an airplane and we trust that when that uh, pilot turns on that airplane and he, you know, has that big thing that he pulls down and the wheels start going forward and then somehow you start lifting up in the air, that when we're up in the air at 20,000, 30,000 feet, we're not going to all of a sudden come catapulting down to the ground. I mean, if that's not faith, I don't know what is. So, you know, we can say that we have no faith, but we really, we have faith in a lot of things that uh, we just take for granted, especially now. You know, back in uh, the ancient times that they refer to, I mean, they couldn't go to the grocery store and buy soap. They had to make soap. They didn't, you know, have doctors to go to that had antibiotics. They knew about herbs. And, you know, there's just so many things that we take so for granted, and yet we want to trust our own minds to figure out this um, eating problem. It, it, that's really more insane than, um, than anything. But, 
you know, I too had to have an open mind to say, okay, I am not doing a good job here on my own. I need to surrender. I need to trust a higher power because my best thinking has gotten me to eating uh, every waking moment and unable to stop no matter what. And I had to have an open mind to believe that the people who were two feet ahead of me in this process uh, knew what they were talking about. And, you know, we, um, we believe in all sorts of things. I mean, I'm sitting here talking on an iPhone with these things in my ear and there's this little mic down by my mouth and it's like, what in the world? You know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, they would have just thought that was insane to think that you could could do that, you know, with people all over the world on the same phone line. I mean, it's just beyond my comprehension. And, you know, it was God that was behind all those brains. It's God who uh, has given people these thoughts. And um, so with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Eileen? This is Paula. Eileen? This is Amy. Yes. Could you Eileen? tell me what And then Paula. What page okay. are we on? We are on page 51 in Chapter 4, We Agnostics. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, go ahead, Eileen. Thanks, Janice. This is Eileen, food addict from Bedford, Mass., in recovery. Um, uh just want to chime in with what uh, one of the previous speakers was saying about how it took her so long uh, to get in touch with the spiritual side of recovery. Um, it wasn't until I started listening to this meeting that it really started to sink in about the reading the doctor's opinion phenomena of craving, that it's a physical allergy and a mental obsession but you need a spiritual solution, um, getting the spiritual connection. Um, and, and what it says here, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm and the material? You know, I, I was looking for proof my whole life that God existed, you know, and the biggest miracle of my life happened after 18 years I stopped compulsively eating. And how did that happen? By relying on the fellowship of this program, by relying on my higher power to give me the willingness to stop putting the food in my mouth. That's all I needed. It, the key is willingness. And finally, you know, I just I have the willingness to trust that God is going to be there for me no matter what. And so I was biased, and, and I, I did have unreasonable demands on myself and on God that, oh, okay, prove that you're, you're existing for me. Prove that you're out there. I don't need any, any further proof than looking around at everyone in, in these rooms and listening to everyone on this phone meeting that God is all-powerful, and God exists. So thanks for listening. I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I want to go to the middle here. This is where it all started. American newspapers were afraid. Now, there's the fear. Why? To print an account of Wright Brothers' first successful flights at Kitty Hawk. Why, again, I'll ask. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? And you see, that was it. I thought I was on page 30. I couldn't do it. I was incapable of being honest. Could this really be for me? How many days did I say, number one, number one, yep, I'm on day one. All flights failed before. But then I'm going to go down to the next page. I'm not the next. Go over to the next page, not down. Well, down I went, may I say, then over. There was never could have been a breakthrough without a breakdown, but this part here. 
only 30 years later, the conquest of the ear was almost an old story, an old, beautiful story, may I say, to come to that place of being recovered. And airplane travel was in full swing as my life was. It went to, this can't be, God can't do this, to, God can do anything. He in the lead, I follow. Full swing. We all know the throes of this disease. But to be and to live in recovery, I will tell you, that is full swing. From the very moment you open your eyes in the morning, not with those, those the, the four terrors there, the bewilderment and the discouragement, not even wanting to open your eyes, to open your eyes and say, what next? Thank you, God, for being here as you have been. Full swing. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Was there someone else who wanted to comment on this paragraph? Yes, it's Amy. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. This idea of biased and unreasonable, and in the prior prior paragraph, you know, all sorts of fettered ideas. Boy, I had those galore as well. I thought that, let me just give you a few of those. I thought that sin was well. I thought that if I could just control the world around me enough that life would fall into place, that if I met the numbers on a scale that I would feel good about myself. All of these ideas, fixed ideas, unreasonable ideas that I see now, but because of this disease and the mental obsession, I'm fraught with denial, delusion, defiance, and I can't think clearly. And we look here and we come, you know, someone was saying, you know, what a setup. It was Janice. And I, and I love that setup because when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was just looking for another diet. And we talk about in step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I didn't even know I needed to be restored to sanity. But I was real, Dan. I heard your stories. I heard you talk my language. You did things of good that I never did. Then I heard and learned, as others said, and was instructed about the disease the mental obsession, the physical allergy. And then we come to this, you've got to believe in a power greater than yourself, and people are talking God, and everything comes to a screeching halt, because I don't want to believe. I had asked God in the middle of the night, in the middle of binges, God, please help me. God, please help me. Help me stop. And yet I never stopped. And I thought, how could I believe in something outside of myself? I was so fixed. I was so unreasonable, and I was so biased as far as what I thought my higher power, what I thought God to be. But I got to a point where I couldn't imagine living with food or living without it. I bought into the idea that you all said. I believed in my heart of hearts that I was a compulsive overeater and I was going to die. You know, and we stand at a turning point, and we have to make this decision. It says here we have to ask ourselves, am I going to be willing to believe? Am I going to ask? What am I going to do? You all stand before me, and you say that there is, there is a way out, that faith is possible, even if it's just about willingness. And I thought, and I look back and I think, faith, my gosh, as they're explaining in these, in these chapters, you know, we have faith in so many things, material things that I couldn't see, electricity, you know, we didn't get into an airplane. And did I not have faith in the food? Did I not worship food? Talk about being a hypocrite. Isn't that what I did? I wanted food to do for me what I could not do for myself. I was a selfish, self-centered, immature, unable to cope with life. So what did I do? I got restless, irritable, discontent, or whatever, and I reached for the food because I wondered what the food would do for me. It would give me, quote, that sense of ease and comfort. Was that not worship? And they came here, and I come into the program, and I'm asked to make a a choice, to be willing, to choose to be open-minded, to be honest that I don't have the answers to what a higher power is, but I am willing to take that step forward because I am now terrified of going back. I don't want to go back, but I think the fear, just like with the fear of flight, what, it's the unknown. I didn't know. I didn't know. I saw what you had. I saw the recovered people there, but I had to take a leap of faith. At some point, we all have to take a leap of faith. We have to choose and be willing to step out there and say, I don't know anymore. 
And I came to realize that all those binges in the middle of the night where I asked God, you know, God, help me, stop me. I wanted God to just fix me with no effort on my part. But this time I asked God to change me because I realized through this program there was way more to this disease than met the, ma- met the mouth, if, mouth, if you know what I mean. And I asked God to change me and give me the willingness to do whatever it was to, to recover from this program that I was going to believe. So I took that leap of faith into the unknown. As scary as it was, I was more afraid of picking up that first bite again, which I knew I would if I didn't get some help. I was more afraid of that, so I was willing to step forward. They say when the pain of where you are gets bad enough, you'll move. And I was willing to take that leap. And as I leaped into the air, I said, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you are. And I don't even know if I believe in you. But please, if you're out there, catch me. Catch me and show me that you are there because i got nowhere else to go. i got nowhere else to go. And that was a different kind of willingness than what I had prior to program. And God caught me all right. This program works. It talks about Galileo and the Wright brothers. You know, when you're willing to sacrifice just about anything, your life, because you believe so strongly in something and you know in your heart and heart of hearts that it works, then you will go to those lengths to show that it works. And that's what these recovered people did. The first 100 recovered people did. They went against all convention back then, and they wrote this book. They penned this book because they believed. They believed and they knew from experience that it worked, and they wanted to share it. They wanted to show us and instruct us. 30 years later, talk about 30 years later with flight. 30 years later, did you all read the forewords? Look how the program explodes because it works. And the founders believed that they were willing to go to any length to share that message, go anywhere, because they knew. It worked, and it really does work. We just got to make that leap of faith, folks. We got a I'll pass. Thank you, my dear Amy. Would anyone else like to comment? I think I must have uh, missed somebody else who was in there. It's Leah. Go ahead, Miss Leah. Well, thank you, Janice. Thank you, everybody. Um, so you know, again, the big book is doing its best to help us open our minds so we can discard some old ideas and maybe, maybe, maybe even let some new ideas in. So they're now they're giving an example of, uh, you know, Kitty Hawk and flight. It says, was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? You know, so the big book, I mean, it is working hard here. It's reminding us that all good things in life come from a willingness to try something different, to try something different. Um, you know, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, in Bill's story when his when Ebby was sitting across the kitchen table talking about God and religion, and, and Bill says, you know, he got irritated and his mind snapped shut at such an idea. Again, you know, was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? I mean, in the late 1800s, you know, there was a bunch of mathematicians and uh, physicists who proved that you cannot create a flying machine that of its own power would fly. Well, if the Wright brothers believed that and stopped right there, then they would never have been able to develop the airplane. You know, the, the Wright brothers, and it's talking about that right here, the Wright brothers were willing. They were willing to believe something different. It all started from an idea that maybe, maybe, maybe it's possible that something heavier than air can fly on its own power. That's where it began. Maybe it's possible. You know, that maybe it's possible. And from that point, you know, how can we create it? Rather than saying it can't be done. So willingness to change is the beginning, and that that same procedure that uh, Columbus went through is the same procedure that the Wright brothers went through, is the same procedure that the big book is inviting us to partake in. Can we have a willingness? Is my way working? If my way was working, I wouldn't be here. My way wasn't working. I was getting beaten to death by the illness. 
<laughs> killing myself with my own fist under the guise of uh, seeking ease and comfort? Do I have a willingness to do something different? You know, and then can you, can you change what you believe? Are you willing to change what you believe? You know, that is the beginning here. That's the beginning. There's a decision ahead, and, of course, there are actions to take, but it all starts with a willingness to change. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Well, let's move on to the next paragraph. And, Esther, could you read that for us? Good morning. My name is Esther, and I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. But in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he will say, I bet they do it, maybe not so long either. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new, by the complete readiness with which we throw away the theory or gadget, which does not work for something which does? So this paragraph continues to explain to us that scientific progress that we've seen, in, and that was only in 1939, and certainly we've seen much more today in 2013. But um, the progress is not because that we're any smarter than the previous generations. It's only due to our willingness to be open to new ideas and to consider these new ideas. And this type of openness and willingness can also be applied to our attitudes and ideas about a higher power, about God. And the reason we're open to consider new scientific ideas like this paragraph describes is because the old theories aren't working or not working so well. Um, so, so too it is with recovery. Our old ideas about God have not served us well. You know, why shouldn't we be open to considering a new concept of God, especially when we're told, even promised by the authors of this book, that a new attitude towards our higher power, plus meeting a few other requirements, would allow us to lead live free of the merciless, merciless obsession to eat compulsively. So this is the age where we have a complete readiness to consider something new when the old isn't working very well. So let's uh, apply that same theory to you know our attitudes to our higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to comment on this paragraph. You know, I, I love the writing. I love the the style of writing in this section because they keep posing questions for me. They keep posing questions that I can ask myself. They invite me in. So what do you think? What do you think? Are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable? You know, aren't some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material. You know, and and now they're asking me to look at in most fields our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. Complete liberation. You know, sitting there, yes indeed I, I so relate to, you know, this idea of all of us being on this phone line of all of us being connected on the internet, of having websites, of, you know, that was unheard of, unbelievably new and different ideas. But the foundations were being laid. Step by step, one thing at a time, the foundation for all these ever so new ideas was being laid. And isn't that exactly what they're doing here in the big book? They keep laying the foundation, asking me questions, can you relate? Can you relate? And I was desperate enough when I came here. Desperate, doomed, and done when I came here. And, and having this book cracked open and, and having this book come alive, do you relate? Can you identify? Was your thinking like this, I was being asked? Have you changed your mind? Are you willing to change your mind? Have you ever changed your mind in the past? Well, I could start to answer yes, yes, yes to all of those things. And when I came here in a desperate enough state, all of a sudden a doorway was made clear. All of a sudden there were people like these first 100 recovered alcoholics who knew me, who knew me, who knew my thinking because they had stood in my shoes. 
You know, what a beautiful thing that is to be able to relate and identify and be welcomed in. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Jenny E. Paula. Did I hear Eddie? Penny. Penny E. Penny. Penny E. And then Paula. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Good. Good. Uh, Penny E. Recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I like this little phrase. You know, I'd rather go through life believing that there is a God, and then at the end. Wait a minute. I would rather go through life believing that there is a God and finding out that there's not than going through life thinking that there isn't a God and finding out there is. What a bummer. What a bummer. So I'm at the point here, well, I get it. I get it. I have to have an open mind. I have to have an open mind. I get it. I get it. I get it. What do I do? How do I go from not really believing, not believing, to going to believe? What would that look like? What would that look like? So I share my experience, strength, and hope. I tried from the very beginning. Let me give the glory to God. Let me give credit where credit is due. I got on my knees in the morning, day one after somebody told me. I asked you, God, for another day of abstinence, please. At night, I was abstinent. So I got on my knees and I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. But I acted as if, you know. Second day, I did the same thing. God, I ask you for another day of abstinence. Let me do your will. Show me how I can be of maximum service to you and others. Got, into, got ready to go to bed that night. I was abstinent. I was of service. Thank you, God. I began to believe. I just practiced, practiced, practiced that God consciousness. It works. So if you don't believe, just try it. Try it. Ask other people, how did they get there? How did they get there? Practically, how did you do it? Love you all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. And Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, compulsive overeater, recovered. I just want to go to that first line. But in most fields, our generation has witnessed, saw, seen complete liberation of our thinking. It uses the word complete. And see, what they saw there and is what they're talking about in most fields. Can I tell you, as we go to the back of the book at Alaska Award, in this field of alcoholism, they saw it. They witnessed it. Why did Rockefeller, Rockefeller of all people, he looked. Look at the, they talk about the, the, the doctors, the psychiatrists, all of them looking. And being awarded the, being awarded the Alaska Award, in 1951, in recognition of its unique and highly successful witnessed approach to the age-old, oh, yes, public health and social problem, alcoholism. This was a killer. In emphasizing alcoholism as an illness, the social stigma associated with this condition is being blotted out. Historians may one day recognize Alcoholics Anonymous to have been a great venture in social pioneering, which forged a new instrument for social action, a new therapy based on the kinship. Compulsive reading, Overeaters Anonymous, all the anonymous programs based on the kinship of common suffering, one having a vast, huge potential for the myriad other ills of mankind. But that word kinship, close connection, there it is. That is what we see witnessed, not just talked about. They saw the liberation of our thinking, thinking in our, that changed our life. This is what, this does, this spiritual door being opened, and it touches every realm, as this disease did. This disease left nothing untouched, physically, mentally, spiritually, what? Ah, but the recovery. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Kaya. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kaya, and then 
Haya and then Eddie. Hi, everybody. Thanks. This is Haya, recovered compulsive eater and bulimic in Dallas, Texas, although I'm in New Jersey for the summer. This is a great meeting. Um, it reminded me of a paragraph that we read just a couple of days ago on page 48, um, where it said, um, uh, it's talking about, you know, that we've been handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Um, it said, this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Faced with the alcoholic or for us compulsive eater destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol or food was the great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes it was tedious. We hope you won't be as prejudiced, you know, for as long. And it says, the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. And so they're giving us all these reasons. And now they're saying, you know, look at this one, you know, but in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. See, this is a thinking problem. My thinking was compressed. It was limited. And it's telling, you know, and then it's giving us examples. Look at the people that think, oh, you know, go to the moon. That's crazy, right? I bet they'll never do it, right? Uh, have a little gadget that can play any song that you want. Uh, whenever you want and stick it in your ear and listen to it. And you can make a phone call. You know, I could go run and it could track how far I'm running and how fast I'm running just because I'm holding the phone. I'm not even holding it. It's on my arm and it's in my ear and I can hear and I can listen to a, a music or I can listen to a live radio station that's being broadcast by satellite. I mean, who would have ever thought that? You know, we trade in the iPhone 2 for the iPhone 3 for the iPhone 4. People wait in line to get the next iPhone. And so what I was, when I went through the steps with the, you know, which I, I call, you know, my tour guide, the recovered compulsive eater who took me on my exploration of the steps using this map that I'm holding in my hand right now that we're reading from, um, and, you know, my old conceptions are keeping me in a place that kept me in the food. Or, for me, in, 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 in OA, in the insanity in my head, right? Um, maybe my thinking gets me like, you know, it's like, it's like standing in 2013 and, and, and taking a picture with a Polaroid. Why in the world would I use a Polaroid? When I can just snap my phone and there's the, here's the picture and then guess what? I could text message it to my family members all over the world. Why would I use a Polaroid? It doesn't make sense. I needed to trade in the old model for the new one. It's just the way it is. I had a phone where at a certain point my phone could not handle the applications that I was trying to use on it. I had to get a new phone. No one thought it was, oh, how could you get a new phone? Maybe it won't work. Maybe it's crazy. The new phone uses a new application. It's much more effective. My old way of thinking was not effective in producing recovery. That's the bottom line. Not believing in God, which was the, my first problem when I first came to OA many, many years ago. But I also eventually, like Amy said, I was up against the wall and I just said, God, if you're out there, please help me. Thank God I had a relationship with God, but you know what? It was clogged because I wasn't using these steps. And I had gone through the steps. I was not living in steps 10, 11, and 12 as it's described in the book. And when I didn't do that, I, my, my pipeline was clogged. And I was in, my head was insane. I was not recovered. I had to trade in my old ideas for new ones. I had to upgrade the model. I had to get it. I would think not twice about getting a new phone. But think about a new way of thinking, perhaps, maybe. So I had to trade in my old, you know, we trade in old technology for new technology all the time. So I have to trade in my old conception of God or my old conception of OA, as many of us coming in as, you know, OAers for a long time had to. My old conception of OA, my old conception of what, of that we could be recovered. All of those things just need, and it told me a, just a couple of ages ago, had to be abandoned. You know, like, and I'll just close with this, I know we're at the end of the hour, you know, yes, you know, the, the only requirement for membership in OA is a desire to stop eating, but that's not the requirement to be recovered. There's a lot of musts, 
to be recovered. And one of them is that thinking must be abandoned. Thank you so much. I appreciate you letting me share. Thank you, Haya. Well, I see we're out of time for today. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone who made this such a good meeting today. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Melanie, could you read that for us? I can. Thank you very much. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.